B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. I stand upon the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. You know, the Bible is not just a book. It is the book, the book of books. Well beyond anything else that has ever been written on the face of this earth. David would say in Psalm 119 and verse 105, Your word is a lamp to my feet, it is a light to my path. James, in James chapter 1 and verse 21 says that we are to receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save our souls. And then we go to Acts 20 and verse 32. And the Apostle Paul says, Now, brethren, I commend you to God and the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. You see, that tells me that God's Word is what I need every day to guide my path. God's Word is able once implanted in my life to save my soul. That Word of God is able to build me up, make me stronger, and give me an inheritance with God. And yet... Many people today do not see the Bible as the unique, special, inspired word. In fact, if you start asking why are we encountering some of the problems that we're facing today, it seems as if in the past few weeks the news just can't get any worse. The perversion of same-sex marriage being approved. The fact that they are taking little babies that have not yet been born and are selling their body parts is so disgusting. And yet the reason why we are here is because men no longer put the Word of God as the directions of their life. How do men view God's Word? The other day I was reading uh, regarding one of these moral issues and a man posted and said that he believed the Bible was, and I quote, an ancient book of Bronze Age myths. He believes that the Bible is nothing more than a book of stories, a book of myths. This past week, or the past couple of weeks, the Huffington Post posted an article saying why the Bible is not the Word of God. That article was written by an ordained Baptist preacher. Why are people no longer believing the Bible as the Word of God? And I ask the question, are we at an impasse? Is it as if some people want to say, That's your opinion. If you want to accept the Bible and do so, that you are somehow following your myths, but if that's what you want to believe, then so be it. Just don't ask us to believe it. That's a part of our world today. A part of our world today is basically saying everything is only an opinion. But I'd suggest to you that 
there's something else. If I were to tell you right now that I have a coin in my right hand, some of you might say, well, it's my opinion he does. Others might say it's my opinion that he doesn't. And yet when I raise my hand and put it before you, it's no longer an opinion. There's reality there. There's a coin in my hand. And because there is and because you have seen it, you have to say, I know that that's what it is. Now here's the issue. Is there something about the Bible that can prove positive that the Bible is the Word of God? And I'd suggest to you that one of those proofs, not the only, but one of them is the powerful proof of predictive prophecy. The Bible is, now don't miss this, 100% correct 100% of the time. And if that's the case, then the Bible is not the product of just a man or a group of men. But the Bible is the very Word of God. Now what I would like for us to do for just a few minutes is to look at three things. And my plans are right now, so I'll go ahead and let you know so you don't panic. The first two points will be this morning's lesson. The final point will be tonight's lesson. And in fact, what I began with was to preach the third point as my lesson. However, I got to thinking, and I, Brother Ray Weddington and I discussed this going to and from Memphis on Thursday. And that is, we have a lot of young people coming up, and you never know at that point in time in their minds when they began to really pay attention to the lesson and things really began to dawn on them. And, you know, we assume so much, and yet you have to sometimes lay a good foundation. And the reality is also that some people really don't understand the terms and what you mean. So we're going to begin with some definitions. The second part is going to be distinctions. And then the third part will be a demonstration. Let's begin with some definitions. What is predictive prophecy? You have to, let's begin with the first part of that, and that is prophecy. What is prophecy? And what is a prophet? You see, prophets and prophecy is found really almost from the beginning all the way through the book of Revelation. But one of the best illustrations I believe I can give you is found in the book of Exodus. And if you want to turn there, you're welcome to do so. We're going to go to chapter 4, and then we'll go over to chapter 7. When you get to Exodus chapter 4, God has sent Moses to go to Pharaoh to tell him, let my people go. When God tells Moses this, Moses responds to him, God, why are you sending me? I can't talk. I'm not eloquent. Never have been eloquent. Can't you send somebody else? And God tells him, your brother, verse 15, is going to be your mouth. He's going to speak your words. And then when you get to verse 16, so he shall be your spokesman to the people. And he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. 
You see, the role that Aaron was going to occupy was to be a prophet for Moses, a spokesman for him, to be his mouthpiece. You go to chapter 7, verse 1. So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. So if I understand prophecy correctly in the Bible, it's where a man is a spokesman for someone else. And in the Bible, to be a real prophet is to be God's prophet, where God puts in the heart and the mind and in the mouth what he wants the prophet to say. Now we'll go to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. And Peter is going to explain the role of God's spirit in the prophet's mouth. He says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Prophecy never came by will of man. It's not as if man says, okay, here's what I want to write. Here's what I want to speak. These are words from God. And so that's the reason why when we get to passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 37, Paul says, If anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. So I understand prophecy is speaking for God, not by man's choice, but by God's choice. And whether he speaks it or whether he writes it, these things have the force of the commandments of God. Now let's talk about the word predictive for just a moment. To predict something is to suggest that it is something to come in the future. For instance, I may predict that the majority of us after services will eat a meal. I would dare say that's probably going to happen. Most of us are probably going to choose to eat after our services today. But that's a pretty good educated guess because most people do eat at that time of the day. But in the Bible, we're talking about the result of an all-knowing God. The passage that was read to us just a few moments ago by Brother David says that God is an all-knowing God who is like none other. For just a few moments, let's explore that idea. If you want to go with me to Isaiah chapter 41... God had challenged through the prophet Isaiah the people who were worshiping idols. And what he's wanting to do as he talks about the worshiping of idols is, I want you idols to basically put up or shut up. I want you to prove that you can, you are worthy of being worshiped. So here's the way Isaiah presents it. Let them bring forth and show us What will happen? Let them show the former things, what they were, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them. Or declare to us the things to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that you are God's. Yes, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and see it altogether. 
Do you get the, the point? God is saying to these idols and to those, primarily those who worship them, the idols are nothing. Produce something. Tell us what's going to come to pass. Obviously they can't. You get to chapter 46 and verse 10. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. God knows the future. God knows what you will be doing today. What you will be doing tomorrow. What you will be doing next week. God knows who will be saved and who will be lost. God knows everything. And predictive prophecy is when God says, I know what's going to happen and I'm going to tell you when it will happen and what will happen. You see, that's a test for a real prophet. Because God wants us to know that there are sometimes people who are going to say things in His name and they may not be telling the truth. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 21 and 22 Moses said, And if you say in your heart, How shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is a thing which the Lord has not spoken. You shall not be, or said the prophet has broken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. He spoke it out of his own desire, out of his own will. So if I understand predictive prophecy, it's something that only comes from God. And that sometimes men may make predictions, but you can know quite plainly they're not from God if they make predictions and they do not come to pass. Which brings me to the second part of our lesson, and that is pretenders. Are there people who pretend to be from God and pretend to have power from God and they do not? Obviously. I'm going to look at it from two different perspectives. I'm going to look at it, first of all, from the perspective of the Bible, and then we're going to look at the perspective of our modern age. You see, if I go in the Bible, I can find men like Simon. You remember Philip went down to Samaria? He preached the gospel to them. You get to verse 9 and it says, But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria. Notice that last phrase, claiming that he was someone great. Here's a man who says, I am a great person. You know what he was doing? He was fooling people. He was tricking people. Another good illustration is found in Acts 19. There are Jew, Jewish exorcists. Yes, there was demon possession in the first century. And we read about these people in the sons of Siva in verse 15 or 14 and 15. It says, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took upon it themselves to call on the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exercise you by the name of, or by Jesus whom Paul preaches. 
Also, there were seven sons of Siva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And the spirit, and man in whom the evil spirit was, leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, so they fled out of the house naked and wounded. You see, they're pretenders. weren't real. Well, let's be a little more specific, though. What about prophets? I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 28. Jeremiah chapter 28. I can't take the time to discuss this whole chapter, but let me just give you a little background, and then we'll look at verses 2 through 4. The background is simply this. God had sent Jeremiah to the children of Jerusalem and Judah to tell them to repent or they were going to be taken in Babylonian captivity. They didn't repent, and so Jeremiah was sent with a second message. Repent and submit to Babylon or you will die. And in 606 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar came against Jerusalem. He took Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, and several other Hebrew young men, men of royalty, carried them to Babylon, but didn't take a large group of people. He came back and took Jehoiachin, and he took him along with all of the vessels of the Lord's house, the gold, the silver, and a number of people in 597 B.C. And it's right during that time when Zedekiah becomes king that there's a man rises up by the name of Hananiah. And Hananiah is wanting the people to get an encouraging message. Don't think this is the end. Don't think that what Jeremiah is saying, he's just a prophet of doom and gloom and sadness. Well, here is what we read. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, saying, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two full years I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took and carried away from this place and carried to Babylon. And I will bring back to this place Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, with all the captivities of Judah who went to Babylon, says the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. That's a false prophecy. You see, after Jeremiah heard Hananiah say that, he said, Amen, may the Lord do so. That's what I'd like to happen. But that's not what's going to happen. In fact, God sent Jeremiah to Hananiah to tell him, Not only will this not take place, but you're going to die this year. In fact, seven months later, Hananiah died because of his false prophecy. You see, when I look in the Bible, I see pretenders. And what these pretenders are doing are saying, I'm speaking from God. That prophecy didn't come true because that prophecy didn't come from God. And God said it didn't come from me. In fact, don't you listen carefully to Jeremiah 22. 3 and verse 21 in Ezekiel 13. He says, I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I've not spoken to them, yet they have prophesied. 
And then in Ezekiel 13, verse 7, Have you not seen a futile vision? And have you not seen a false, spoken of false divination? You say, the Lord says, but I have not spoken. Folks, I want you to understand that when you go to the Bible, there are false prophets there. And God's true prophets call them out. Prove them to be false. Now, in our modern day, there's also people who claim to have the power of God. They claim the ability to see the future. I don't know how many of you today look as you go through the checkout aisles and the grocery stores and other businesses, but there's all these tabloids there, the National Enquirer, the Globe, and Seemed like these were much more popular several years ago than they are today, but it was a characteristic every year that sometime in December they would have on the front headline of those the predictions for the coming year. One of the ladies who many years was featured in some of these was a lady by the name of Jean Dixon. Before her was a man by the name of Edgar Casey, And then one that Prophecies are often listed there as a man by the name of Nostradamus. And you see what they're suggesting is they can see the future. Gene Dixon, Edgar Casey both predicted the death of John F. Kennedy. And Edgar Casey also predicted the death of Martin Luther King, Jr. You say, oh man, I'm impressed. And they say that Nostradamus not only predicted that, but he also predicted the fall of the Twin Towers on 9-11. And you say, well, maybe they did have the power of God. I'd encourage you to read Nostradamus. And if you, by the time you quit laughing, uh, because everything there is so vague, can be made to apply to almost anything. But one thing that they don't tell you is how many prophecies that Gene Dixon and Edgar Casey made that just were ridiculous and never came true. You have not only that, but you have modern-day religious figures. I grew up listening to a man on television by the name of Oral Roberts. I remember very vividly when he said, God gave me a message. He wants me to build a hospital, the city of hope. I also remember in the late, I think it's late 80s, may have been the late 70s, when he said, God told me I've got to raise a million dollars by this time next year or he's going to take me home. I know some of you remember that as well. The truth is, God never spoke by Oral Roberts. You may remember Harold Camping in 2011. Mr. Camping said the Lord was going to come again in the spring of 2011, and all of his followers got together. They were ready, had their white robes on. The Lord didn't come. Media camped outside of Mr. Camping's house. And he said, oh, I just missed it. 
it's going to happen October 2011. The media camped outside his house in October 2011. Didn't happen again. He retreated in embarrassment. The Jehovah's Witnesses have set times for the Lord's coming again. In the 1800s, 1915, 1925, some of my classmates when I graduated in 1975 from high school had no plans for college because they believed their leaders who said Jesus is going to come again in 1975. Seventh-day Adventists had the great disappointment in the late 1800s. Folks, I could go on and on, but they're pretenders who say we've got a message from God and God's not spoken by them. I'm going to attribute this one to Leonard. I think he says this. If it didn't, it sounds like what he'd say. Even a blind squirrel will occasionally find a nut. If you make enough prophecies, pretty soon you're going to find one that will actually be true. McClenick and Strong Cyclopedia says arrows shot in all directions, even in the dark, are bound to hit something occasionally. Yes, there are people who make prophecies. Will they get one or two right? Maybe. But when you get to the Bible, you have 100% of the prophecies 100% true. That's beyond human production. Let me point out to you that some of the prophecies in the Bible are conditional. If you want to turn with me to the book of Jonah, I'm sure you all know the book of Jonah very well. Chapter 1, God calls Jonah to go and preach to Nineveh. Why does he need to preach to Nineveh? What's his goal? What's his purpose? Well, you'd say he wants them to repent. But yet when I get to the book of Jonah, chapter 3 and verse 4, and Jonah began to walk or enter the city on the first day's walk, and then he cried, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. What was his message? Forty days, none of us going to be overthrown. But what happened, verse 10, then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. You see, many of the prophecies in the Bible were given saying, you do what you're doing, you will have to answer for it. But when the people repented, God changed his will. Jeremiah captured that very well in Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 7. He said, At the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom, to pluck up, to pull down, to destroy it. If that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent from the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. And at the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit it. You see, God's prophecies were based upon a person's repentance or the person's change to evil. The messages from God recorded in the Bible are true 
and they're proof of divine inspiration. It's impossible that all the prophecies in the Bible could be true and this not be the book from God. Now let me tell you what we're going to talk about in our lesson tonight, and then I'm going to extend the Lord's invitation. We could talk about a number of examples, but we're going to just consider three. We're going to consider Ezekiel 26 and the destruction of Tyre. We're going to look at it specifically. Then we'll go to Jeremiah chapter 50 and also chapter 51, and we'll talk about the destruction of Babylon. And then finally, we're going to talk about the prophecies with regards to Christ. You see, the Bible is the Word of God. And because it is the Word of God, I am responsible for what it says on everything. If it tells me what marriage is, and for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, because God had made them male and female, and they too shall become one flesh, then I know marriage is between a male and a female, and I know that it's between two and not 22. Is When God speaks on any subject, it's right. And here's what God says through Jesus' Son. If you believe not that I am He, you will die in your sins. John 8, verse 24. I tell you, no, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Luke 13, verse 3. Everyone, therefore, who will confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father in heaven. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. If you've not been baptized, then you've not yet obeyed our Lord. You can do that this morning. We'll sing this invitation song. If you come forward, we'll baptize you for the remission of your sins. The Lord also speaks to us about our daily living. And what God wants us to do is to walk with Him each and every day. And we all know, those of us who are Christians, that there are times that we fail. And there is the cleansing blood of our Lord that provides us the forgiveness of those sins. But when we walk away from the Lord, we've got to come back. It may be that you need the prayers of the congregation here. If so, we encourage you to also respond. And would you come as together we stand and sing.